This idea of a mighty God has been coming up a lot these last couple days. First of all, it takes a mighty God to convince me to even do Elvis. That's just unreal. I'm thinking, it's going to take a mighty God to allow the Redskins to go to playoffs in the next couple years. I'm also thinking, it's going to take a mighty God to get the Packers to be humble today after the way they played against the Falcons. Because they beat the living heck out of the Patriots and then they play like that against the Falcons. So I'm just praying to God, help them be humble today against the Bills who aren't that good. But on a more of a serious note, we have a mighty God that gives us a mighty worship team. I want to give a hand to our worship team. Let's give our uh, worship team a hand. That's awesome. That they have the ability through mighty God to do the worship that they do. I also want to give a hand to the people that have been helping out with the dinner theater. Because we have a mighty God that's been working in a mighty way through our volunteers. Let's give our volunteers a hand. And it's all because of the glory of God. Um, why don't you guys bow your heads? We're going to do some mighty prayer to a mighty God to help me with a mighty sermon. And hopefully I can preach it in a mighty way because he's mighty. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are mighty to save. You are mighty to send your Son to deliver us from an eternity of slavery. Father, you are so much bigger than presents. You are so much bigger than family get-togethers. You are so much bigger than the money we spend this Christmas season. Help us to remember a mighty God above anything else. Let this mightiness flow in our lives. Not just around Christmas, but in every season. In every part of our year. We give you the glory and the honor. We just stand off your presence. Help us to stand in reverence towards you. In your mighty and precious name, amen. I was doing an internship in my last year of college. I was in the north side of Chicago, and we were doing a lock-in for junior hires. And I know that's crazy to think about doing a lock-in with junior hires. You know, sometimes you're like, what am I signing up for? But there was one lock-in in particular during this internship that really stood out to me. We watched a video at the beginning of the lock-in called How Great Is Our God by a man named Louis Giglio. And uh, this guy named Louis Giglio, he takes a golf ball and he puts it in his hand in the first part of the video. And he gives a little bit of an astronomy lesson. And he says, if the sun were 15 feet in diameter, the earth would be a golf ball. Then he goes on to say that you could fit almost a million earths inside the sun. And maybe, you know, that's common knowledge for a lot of people, but I felt I was always falling asleep in an astronomy class all the time. I, I fell asleep in a lot of my classes. But I was always falling asleep in astronomy class. So this really blew my mind. It really gave me a different perspective on God. The first thing that went through my mind was, I wish I could go hop in a DeLorean and go back to junior high. Because I could have used this concept with mama jokes in junior high. Do you guys remember mama jokes when you were younger? It was a thing in the 90s, I think, more than anything. But there was one big mama joke that I remember more than any other mama joke. It was your mama so fat that she's playing pool with the planets. That was one joke I remember more than any other mama joke. And the more I thought about that joke, the more I think, hey, 
I should have taken that as a compliment. And I could have used this concept of that joke because I could have said, while my mama was playing pool with the plants, my dad was playing golf. And then the second thing that was going through my mind was, we have a mighty God. And, and this is the world. And this is God. And everything in our little world is nothing to Him. He has everything in control. All of our insecurities, all of our hopes, all of our dreams are this to God. But this world seems so big to us. We are reminded of this mighty God in this series called AKA Jesus. We are reminded of this mighty God because Isaiah said that a child would be born that would be the mighty God in Isaiah 9 6. Let's read Isaiah 9 6 together. Why don't you turn your Bibles? I want to get you guys in the habit of opening up your Bibles. And this is what it says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, Isaiah wanted to remind God's people that they would see a great light even though they're walking in darkness. Because Isaiah is talking to God's people at a time when he knows that they're about to face some captivity in the near future. This is 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he's saying, you guys are, are in darkness right now, but you're going to see a light. A child will be born. It will be the mighty God in the flesh. Do you believe that this mighty God today can bring light to your darkness? Because he can. He has the power to transform because he's a mighty God. And this is the world, and this is God. Because he's the I am. If you remember the story of Moses, Moses was asking God, what do I tell you know the people in Egypt when they ask, who sent me? Tell them I am sent you. Those two words just blow your mind. I am. It means he just exists. You can't constrain him to time. You can't put him in, in like a physical, you know, form. He just is. But the question is, are you willing to let this mighty God transform you in a mighty way? I remember um, about a month ago, I was flying to Chicago from Reagan National. And when I left Reagan National, it was 70 degrees and sunny. I remember we were uh, taking off. And as we were getting higher and higher in the atmosphere, you know, the monuments were getting smaller, the houses were getting smaller, the roads were getting smaller. And then, uh, not too much longer after that, we were going above the clouds, and I literally thought I was on top of the world, and I literally thought, you know, that my head was above the clouds. Having my head above the clouds had two meanings. Figuratively speaking, and, and literally speaking, my head was above the clouds. And I had to ask for forgiveness, because I didn't have humility at that time. But, here's the deal. As we were getting above the clouds, the pilot killed the moment. He's like, seems like we're going to have a pretty normal flight 
for most of the flight, but as we get closer to Chicago, you're going to have a bumpy ride. Because in Chicago, it's like 30 degrees. And the winds are like 20 miles an hour. And it's snowing. And I'm like, thanks, that just ruined my whole flight. But I remember, as we were getting ready to descend into Chicago, about the last 30 minutes of the flight, all you could see was pure white. I thought I died or something because you couldn't see anything. I'm like, God, heaven must be better than this. This is just pure white. And all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, we hear a smack and we see pavement. And I didn't know what hit me. When we approach a mighty God sometimes, we base his mightiness on our circumstances in our own physical world. We say that, that God is mighty when he does something in a real huge way in our physical lives. But the minute he doesn't do something mighty, we get smacked with reality and we don't know how to react. Our heads are above the clouds. We feel like we're on top of the world. But the minute God decides to not do something that's crazy and miraculous in our lives, it's like we hit the pavement and we don't realize what just happened. If you're going to let a mighty God transform you, you have to realize that he is powerful because of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. Just because God can doesn't mean he's always going to do it. Sometimes we take some verses out of context like, you know, what's impossible with man is possible with God, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are powerful, powerful verses, but sometimes we take those verses out of context. Just because God can do the impossible doesn't mean he's always going to do the impossible. Just because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us doesn't mean we're always going to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And you have that kind of mentality, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment all the time if you don't focus on the fact that God is mighty because of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. You know, it's like if God gives you an amazing job, you know, you're just, you're above the clouds, but the minute something bad happens, like you lose a family member or something, it's like reality hits you. And, and you're asking yourself, is God that mighty anymore? And we all struggle with this. This isn't, isn't something that just certain people struggle with. We have these feelings from time to time where God's not so mighty anymore. Or, you know, God miraculously heals a family member from cancer. You know, life's good and all of a sudden you lose your job. You hit the pavement, reality hits. You don't know what to do with it. Is God so mighty anymore? One of my favorite songs is called... Uh, even if the healing doesn't come by a band called Cutlass. And, and uh, part of the chorus goes like this. Even if the healing doesn't come and life falls apart and dreams are left undone, you are God, you are good, and you are faithful, even if the healing doesn't come. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God is still good, God is still faithful? Even if the physical healing doesn't come? And if we're going to be willing to be transformed, because of who God is and who he was and who he's going to be, we first have to have mighty faith that leads to mighty submission. That's the main point I want to drive today, is that if we want to be transformed by a mighty God, we have to have mighty faith that leads to mighty submission. Let's look at Hebrews uh, chapter 11. We're going to jump around to Hebrews uh, chapter 11 a little bit. And Hebrews chapter 11 talks about real faith. 
And Hebrews 11 talks about some people that practiced real faith in the Old Testament. Starting in verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then we're going to jump on to verse 7. We're going to go through verse 12. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Let's jump to verse 17. Going to verse 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. we go on the next slide, I'm going to show you a place that I really love to go to. This place is called My Earthly Promised Land. I go here every couple years. It's one of my favorite vacations to take. It's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey called Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> it's a little place called the Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame. There's my crazy self trying to do the Lambo leap, Lambo leap on a fake uh, Lambo field uh, wall over there. And I look like an idiot. And then in the upper right-hand corner, those are some of the Super Bowl trophies from the Green Bay Packers. Um, in the bottom left-hand corner, those are some uh, game-worn jerseys from some of the greats like Reggie White and Brett Favre. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, this is actually a replica of Vince Lombardi's office where all the magic happened back in the 60s and the 70s. But here's the cool thing about the Hall of Fame. Above anything else, you get to remember people that left a legacy with the Green Bay football program. You get to remember people that really gave a good example of how the game should be played well. If heaven were to have an Old Testament Hall of Fame, people like Abraham and Noah and Sarah would be in it. Because they left a legacy. They showed people how real faith should be so that other people would learn from them. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. And Abraham and Noah and Sarah were good examples of that. Because God called all these people to do some crazy things. And they seemed real crazy at the time. 
All these people were sure of what they hoped for, and they were certain of what they didn't see. And they knew who God was, and they knew who God is, and they knew what God was going to do. You know, God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Most of us be like, God, what on earth are you talking about? But God knew what he was doing, and Abraham knew who God was, and who God is, and, and what God was going to do. He knew that God was going to bless him, and God was going to make his descendants in great numbers. God tells him, I want you to build an ark. You're crazy. I'm going to send a worldwide flood. But see, Noah knew who God is, Noah knew who God was, and Noah knew who God was going to be. God tells Sarah, you're going to give birth to a child at your old age. And Sarah's like, this is ridiculous. But Sarah knew who God is, Sarah knew who God was, and Sarah knew what God was going to be. And because these people knew who God is and knew who God was and, and they knew who God was going to be, they submitted to what God told them to do. They gave their lives over to God. Do you have real faith? Are you sure of what you hope for? Are you certain of what you don't see? Can you look to the greats that left the legacy in the Bible to see how you should be as far as being submissive to God because you have real faith? Because you know who God is. You knew who God was. And you know what God's going to do. But I want you guys to remember that even though God doesn't always do the impossible, He will do the impossible sometimes. I don't want you guys to go on the other extreme. Even though God isn't always going to do the impossible, you have to be excited about the fact that God can do the impossible in your physical world. Because Jesus also tells us we have to have childlike faith. When you have childlike faith, you're excited about the impossible that God can do in your physical world. You're excited about what He's done, and you're excited about who he is, and you're excited about what he's going to do, but you're also excited about the fact that he can do some awesome things in your physical world, even though he's not going to always do awesome things in your physical world. I don't want to create a bunch of Debbie Downers. Well, nothing good's going to happen. you just got to focus on who God was and who he's going to be and, and who he is, and, and you're just supposed to have a miserable life. God did not create us to be that way. James 1 says, All good gifts come from the Father of lights. God likes to give us good gifts. Some of us have gotten some horrible gifts over the years, right, for Christmas. Some of you guys won't admit it. But some of you guys, you know, you got like the duck socks that you never wore and you used them as like rags or something. You got this really ugly Christmas sweater that you wore on holidays. God doesn't want to give you bad gifts. He wants to give you good gifts. But he also wants you to go through hard times. Because in our weakness, he's that much stronger. Paul tells us about that. Paul said, I will boast in my weaknesses because he's that much more stronger. So God wants to give us good gifts. 
Because those good gifts remind us of our childlike faith and how we get excited about God being awesome. I know some of you guys have children, and you know, if they have like a, a scrape on their arm, they'll just stop, drop, and pray, you know, sometimes. And it's easy for kids to stop, drop, and pray. But God calls us to have that kind of mentality. We have to have that faith of a child. We don't have a lot of presuppositions. We're not judging God. Or we just say, hey, you're awesome. I know you can do this. And I'm going to stop, drop, and pray because you're awesome and you can do this. And even if you don't do this, you're still God. Because of what you've done and who you are and what you're going to do. I want to read you guys a story about this concept of a childlike faith. It really brings this concept to life. One Saturday, as is a custom at the Erickson house in Peoria, Illinois, Ken Erickson's wife cleaned out leftovers from the refrigerator. She gave the one remaining portion of tortellini to their six-year-old son, Jeremy. Their eight-year-old son, Matthew, also wanted some, so bickering ensued. After several unsuccessful attempts to mediate the dispute, Ken decided on a theological approach. Hoping to convince Jeremy to share his portion with Matthew, he said, Jeremy, what would Jesus do in this situation? Jeremy immediately responded, Oh, Dad, he would just make more. <laughs> we have to have that kind of mentality. That God can multiply things. He can't only just multiply things. He can multiply anything. And he will do the amazing things. He will do the impossible. One of the biggest examples in the Bible of this childlike faith mixed with knowing who God is and who God was and what he's going to do is found in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel chapter 3, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 15 uh, through 18. If you watch VeggieTales, you know these guys as Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny. For all our VeggieTales fans out there. Starting at verse 15. I want to give you guys a little background here first. King Nebuchadnezzar he issued a decree to all the people. He made a 90 foot tall gold statue. He told everybody that if they heard music and they heard a bunch of instruments that they had to bow down to this gold statue. And uh, there were some astrologers that found out that there was three people that weren't bowing down this gold statue when they heard music or when they heard instruments. And these guys were, were high up in leadership in Babylon. And so the astrologers told King Nebuchadnezzar that these three guys weren't bowing down to this 90-foot tall gold statue. And King Nebuchadnezzar's like, if you guys don't bow down to this gold statue, you guys are going to be throwing this fiery furnace. This is where we pick up in verse 15. Now when you hear the sound of 
the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. If you're ready to fall down, worship the image I made. Very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's look at verse 17 again. And verse 18. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Do we have that kind of attitude like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, where they had childlike faith mixed with the fact that they knew that, you know, God is amazing, and, and God is amazing because because of what He's done, and God is amazing because of what He because of what He's going to do. Do we have that kind of childlike faith mixed with that mentality of who God is and who He was and what He's going to do? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, "Hey, my God can save me from this furnace. But even if He doesn't, He's still God. He's still on the throne. He's still powerful because of who He is and what He's done and what He's going to do. And nothing is going to stop me." from seeing God as a mighty God because of who he was and who he is and what he's going to do. And when you have this childlike faith where God is awesome and he can do the impossible, but even if he doesn't do the impossible, he's still a mighty God because of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. Leads you to an amazing prayer life. It can affect your prayer life because then you pray in faith. That's what James 5.15 says. That you learn to pray in faith when you're righteous. And you have legitimate faith in the mighty God. James 5.15 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Not only do we have to stop, drop, and pray like we have childlike faith, but we have to pray with faith. Where we're praying, God, I know you can do this. I need to get excited about the fact that you can do this. But even if you don't do this, you're still God. You're still on the throne. You can still transform me. Because you're the mighty God. I know, I know what you've done in the past. I know who you are. You're the beginning and the end. You're the I am. I know what you're going to do. You're going to bring a new heaven. You're going to bring a new earth. You're going to bring all those with you for eternity that follow you. And here's the cool thing. When you allow a mighty God to transform you, and you have mighty faith that leads to mighty submission, You get renewal of the mind. You start thinking the thoughts of God. This is what Romans 12.2 says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you have mighty faith that leads to mighty submission, and you allow God to transform you, you have renewal of the mind. You start thinking the thoughts of God, you start thinking, if this is the world compared to God, I am so small in this little world. I'm not irrelevant. 
become such a small part of this three-act play that God has called the creation of fall and redemption. It's all about God's will. Here's the world compared to God's will. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Are you going to let this world drag you down with all of its insecurities, with all of its hopes and dreams that you don't get to accomplish? Or are you going to remember that God's a mighty God? Are you going to remember Him for who He was and what He's going to do? Are you going to pray in faith? Are you going to get excited about the fact that God can do the impossible, even if He doesn't do the impossible all the time? Are you going to have renewal of the mind from your mighty faith that leads to mighty submission? Are you going to think with the thoughts of God? Is it going to be about His will and not your own will? Are you going to be so worried about the little details of God's will? Are you going to be so worried about how you're going to be used in God's will? Are you just going to be worried about following God's will? Because this is the world compared to God. We're going to have a congregational meeting after the service. And we're going to think of all the issues that are going on in our church as small compared to God. Are we going to have that kind of mentality? That God is going to do what He's going to do. And we're just a small part of what He's going to do. And as long as we follow Him, He's going to use us in crazy ways. We may not know those crazy ways. We don't know the crazy ways that God's going to use this church. But we have to remember that this church is such a small part of this world. Compared to God's kingdom, compared to thinking about God's kingdom, God has great plans for this church. We just have to be willing to be open and submissive to how God wants to use this church. Are you open and submissive to how God wants to use you? Not just this church. Let God transform you because of who he was and who he is and what he's going to do. Have mighty faith that leads to mighty submission because you'll think with the thoughts of God. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, we all struggle with this, with this idea that you're mighty, and, and sometimes we don't think you're so mighty, but in the back of, our minds, back of our minds, we know you're mighty. Help us remember that you are God, and you always will be God, and you've done amazing things, and you're going to continue to do amazing things, and let that transform our thinking. Let it transform the way we live our lives. We give you the glory and the honor, Father. Bless the rest of our worship service. Help us to just reflect on your glory. Help us to reflect on your splendor. Because you deserve it. In your mighty and precious name. Amen.